Hi, Patrick. Well, good morning again, church. There you go. All right. If you have your Bibles, pull them out. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. We're in chapter 16 this morning. If you need a Bible, Dr. Kevin is up. (laughs) He'll make house calls right to your seat with the Bible. Just raise your hand. I'll get one to your seat so you can follow along. Revelation chapter 16 this morning. The title of my message is The Ultimate Super Bowls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together in this place this morning. We thank you for your word and, Lord, uh, the, the fact that, Holy Spirit, you are here to teach us and instruct us in all things, Lord, not only giving us information but application in our lives. As we read these things this morning, Lord. We recognize some of these things are really heavy, Lord. They're, they're, they're judgments. And, Lord, uh, it should stir our hearts, Lord, to reach the lost. Lord, give us uh, just understanding, we pray. Again, application. Bless our time. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you this morning. They're not born again today. Lord, would you especially touch their life. We pray, Lord, that they make that commitment to follow you today from this moment forward. Bless the time together, we pray. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Seeing how this is Super Bowl Sunday, I just want to know that a friend of mine has two tickets for the Super Bowl. He didn't realize when he bought them that the Super Bowl was the same day as his wedding, so he can't go. So if you're interested, the church is in New York City, and his bride's name is Donna. I didn't go over well at all first service. In fact, even afterwards, I said, you get it? No, I didn't get it at all. If you have to explain the joke, it's probably not worth telling the joke. He was going to go to the Super Bowl instead of getting married anyway. Okay. Try this one. Coach Reed, football coach for the Chiefs, future winner of the next Super Bowl, uh, was asked his secret in evaluating his new recruits. Well, he said, it's easy. I take them out to the woods and make them run. The ones that run around the trees, I make them into running backs. The one that that runs right into the trees, I make them linemen. (laughs) You guys try and find a Super Bowl joke, okay? It's tough. It's tough. But when it comes to Super Bowl Sunday, we couldn't be in a scripture of, a text of scripture more clear than the Super Bowls that are about to be poured out upon the face of this earth. Revelation 15 and chapter 16 are all about these Super Bowls, but not in a good way. See, chapter 15, we looked at, tells us about what is about to hit the planet. Chapter 16 describes it in detail. We'll see that there are seven bowls, and there's nothing fun or festive about these bowls at all. There's no ring associated with these bowls, only peril and pain and punishment. And it's not too difficult to pick out who the losers are in the Super Bowl. And and it's the people who rebel against Jesus. It's the people who who will be pledging their allegiance to the Antichrist. And there's really no contest when it comes to these bowls, for God's justice and God's wrath will win out. 
But I'm sure you, you can point to any, you can not point to any winners either because a loving God doesn't consider judgment for sinners as a win. See, his victory is our salvation. He grieves at our, at our defiance and the death and the devastation it causes. If there is a winner in these seven bowls we're going to look at, it's God's righteousness. His warnings prove to be true. His word is verified and evil gets punished. But most of all, these seven bold judgments teach us that God doesn't play around. His judgments are no game. There are more issues, uh, more important to God than our happiness and, and our good times. Because a holy God demands righteousness. Sin is a debt that comes due. Creatures are, are responsible to their creator. So these bold judgments are the ultimate result of a Christ-rejecting world that must be judged. Now I have to admit to you that as I was studying and preparing for this chapter and you read about a judgment, I had to move away from it. I go back to John chapter 14 and I start reading about, you know, how the Lord is preparing a place for me and that where he is, I will be also and and how, you know, he's going to, because he lives, I'm going to live and how he's given me this peace and, and he said, don't let my heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And I go, oh man, that's great. Then I go back to studying in chapter 16 and go, oh man, this is heavy. Go back to 14, John 14. Oh, this is great. Because you know what? You read this stuff in John chapter 16 and it is heavy judgments. But chapter 14, we have such hope and peace in Christ in John's gospel. Uh, But let me tell you this. When God's wrath comes to this earth, watch out. I'm so glad that we are believers that we're going to be safely tucked away in heaven. We know there are 21 judgments mentioned in the book of Revelation. Chapter 6, we saw the seven seals that were broken. Chapters 8 and 9, there were the seven trumpet blasts. Chapter 16, seven bowls brimming with judgment are empty. Now, I might add that there are some Bible commentators that try to fit these 21 plagues into one nice chronological order, but I'm not so sure that you can. I think there's a lot of overlap going on here, especially as you get towards the end of the great tribulation period. See, these last judgments, the bold judgments, are somewhat different because they they represent God's final response to the world's unrepentant wickedness. We read in chapter 15, verse 1, for in them the wrath of God is complete. These are the last seven plagues that will be given out right before the visible return of Jesus Christ to this planet in which he would set up his kingdom upon this earth. I heard about an airplane that was having some severe engine troubles, so the pilot contacted the nearest control tower with this message. Pilot to tower, pilot to tower. We are 400 miles from land. We are 800 feet above water. Please advise, please advise. There's a momentary pause and a message from the tower. Tower to pilot, tower to pilot. Repeat these words after me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. (laughs) Sometimes... There's not much left but the end. And that's where we find ourselves now in Revelation 16. We've arrived at what could be called the grand finale, the Super Bowls of God's judgment about to hit planet Earth. It's time to say, Our Father who art in heaven. Now, if you're taking notes, we're just going to divide this chapter up by the seven bold judgments. We'll look at each one of them individually. Some of you might be saying, Well, come on. 
you know, I see judgment is coming and this hellfire and brimstone stuff, but, but I'm, I'm already saved this morning. And can we talk about something else besides judgment? How about a nice topical study about God's love? How about that? No, you know, we go through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We take it as God gives it to us. And, you know, my prayer is that as we hear and as we understand what's going on on planet Earth at, Earth at this time, and when we read about what's going to happen to those that don't know Christ, what they're going to have to go through, that we will become more zealous for our witness for Jesus Christ than ever before. That God would give to us as believers a real heart for the lost, a real concern for those. If they continue on the path they're on, that they're going to certainly face these brutal consequences. Because I look around the world today, and I see the things that Jesus said would be the signs or the, the mark of the beginnings of the end times, the last days, and I see they're here already. I read in Scripture that men will be lovers of themselves instead of lovers of God. Where Jesus said there'd be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes in various places. I see the whole scenario coming into place. Violent men, perilous times. Folks, we are living in satanically energized times. People go, well, what's wrong with our society today? It's not our society. The problem is people are not right with God. And as a nation, we are not right with God. So we need to be those out there sharing the love of Christ with people even when they mistreat us, even when they slander us or misunderstand us or get upset with us. But the bottom line is, as hard as it is for us to accept this, there are people that we know that are hard against God and they probably never will turn to Christ. But here's the thing. We don't know who those people are. That's why we should never give up praying for people and sharing the gospel with people because one thing uh, I've seen that, you know, in my life, and that is, is it's full of surprises. People that you never thought would come to faith in Christ are walking with the Lord. You're going, wow, I, I never, never saw that coming. So don't give up. God knows who these people are, and it would appear from our text this morning that everyone on earth at this time have made their final decision. Either they're for Christ or they're for the Antichrist. And that's why we read in these last bowls of God's wrath to come uh, of these seven angels pouring out their, their bowls in rapid succession in the last three and a half years, the people have made their decision. Again, they've either followed Christ and have been sealed by the Holy Spirit or they've taken that mark of the beast, of the Antichrist, uh, uh, devoted their loyalty to the Antichrist. See, once they've taken that mark, the Bible says there's no turning back. So judgment is coming full force. And let me tell you, the world has never seen such horror and suffering as this period of judgment will bring. It's no wonder that the Old Testament prophets have called this time the great and terrible day of the Lord. Same period in which Jesus said if those days would not have been short, then no one would survive. Listen, the world is not a, a well-placed, folks. It's suffering. It's suffering from carnality, from perversion, from sickness, from sin. And so therefore, our Father has only no other choice but to deal with this sin. And he does so here in chapter 16. Look now at verses 1 and 2. And the first Super Bowl, Super Bowl 1, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of wrath of God on the earth. So the first one and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Notice those who have the mark are also worshiping uh, the image, showing their, their uh, devotion to him. This first bowl is poured out. 
though it brings these foul and loathsome sores upon all those who have taken the mark. Now, we've talked about this in the past, how people will believe that this is such a great idea during this time to take the mark of the beast, to take the mark of the Antichrist, pledging their commitment and their loyalty to the Antichrist. And I personally believe that this mark could very well be tied into the technology that we have today. One suggestion that we have looked at briefly, it could fit into the mark of the beast, is this under-the-skin personal location device called a VeraChip um, produced from Applied Digital Solutions. The VeraChip is about the size of a grain of rice. It can be injected uh, as an identification chip in, underneath the skin of a human being to provide this bi biometric verification. Folks, the technology is here, it's in place, and it's being used at this very moment. In fact, I have a brief video that I want to show you proving this. Go ahead, Jacob. Millions of people will find the device useful, is what he says. And think about it. It would be. You know, the illegal immigration problem would be mostly eliminated. Child kidnapping, sex trafficking, that would uh, certainly be slowed down for what it is today. How about proof of the COVID-19 vaccination? You can be proven that you've been vaccinated all on that chip, so you can travel, go back to work, go to restaurants, stores, malls, as long as you have that Vera chip saying you've been vaccinated, you've been cleared. Now, I'm not saying they're doing that. Uh, don't get me wrong. But I certainly can see this happening. Think about the economic benefits. Identity theft would be done away with. Credit card theft would be done away with. 
Why keep a credit card or a debit card or even cash when you have all you have all that information on that little chip the size of a grain of rice? Just scan it. If you notice, couldn't, she couldn't open that door to get the drink, the soda out of the refrigerator, but he could because he had the chip. He could buy it from that. No more need for cash. In fact, in 2023, Sweden, where that video was, was filmed, was probably, will probably become the first cashless nation in the world with an economy that goes 100% digital. Currently, about 80% of the Swedes use cards with 50, 58% of the payments being made by card, only 6% made in cash, according to the Swedish Central Bank. Two years, no more cash in Sweden. Listen, makes perfect sense to do this if you didn't know where this is all heading. Folks, we live in unprecedented times. Bible says in 1 Chronicles 12.32 that God was pleased with the sons of Issachar because they understood the times. God is pleased with us when we understand what's going on out there, what's happening in our world. Now, I'm not saying that this chip, this very chip, is the mark of the beast. You know, it could be. It could be just a simple tattoo. But if it is a chip like that, it certainly could explain how the Antichrist could use that technology to pursue his agenda. So we read here in verse 2, this bowl being poured out, and a foul and loathsome sword came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And here's my point. Some commentators suggest that it's that mark of the beast, that that very mark that is is causing some sort of reaction, a physical reaction uh, to the body, causing these, uh, these foul and loathsome sores to come about. Loathsome, grievous, painful sores is the way it's described here. Same Greek word that's used to describe the plagues that the Egyptians faced in Exodus chapter 9. Same sores used to afflict Job in Job chapter 2 verse 7. New Testament describes the open sores that that covered the beggar Lazarus in in Luke 16.21. All over the world during this time, people who have taken that mark of the beast, pledged their allegiance to the Antichrist, will be afflicted with with this incurable, open, oozing sores all over their body. They may have thought, it's a great idea, take the mark of the beast, this is awesome. But it's going to bring unbearable pain. See, that's why up until this point, God has been pulling out all the stops to reach mankind. He had sent the 144,000 Jewish Billy Graham evangelists spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. He sent his two witnesses breathing fire and, and, and killing anyone coming against them. They, they, they were killed and raised up three days later. And then on top of all of that, then he sent his angels cruising around in the sky proclaiming uh, the everlasting gospel, crying out for people to repent, turn from their sin, crying out, don't take the mark, it'll seal your fate, don't take the mark of the beast. But it's all over now. They, they, they've lost their chance. As we've seen, mankind at this point would have made its final decision, no turning back. And so this is the beginning of the final destruction. Their refusal to turn to Christ is bringing about the result of pain. And that's the way it always is with sin. It's the way it always works out. Listen to uh, what God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 19. Your own wickedness will correct you, and your backsliders will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God, and the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. In other words, the reason you're having so many problems in your life and the reason you're going through some of these difficulties and, 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 and trials is because of your own sin. 
I'm not punishing you for this. It's a result of your own backsliding. You're just reaping what you've sown. Now, praise God, as Christians, we won't be here to experience any of this. But today, we still have to deal with sin. And the Lord would say the same thing to us. Perhaps you're going through some trials, some difficulties. And the Lord is saying, listen, examine your life. I'm not bringing this on in your life. It's not me. It's a result of your own backsliding. And it's not a good thing. You need to repent. You need to lay aside every weight and sin that, 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 that easily besets us. And walk with endurance a race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So Super Bowl number one, the sores, the plagues. This brings us to Super Bowl number two and Super Bowl number three. Look at verses three and four. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. I mean, talk about an environmentalist nightmare. And look what's going on here. We hear so much about the environment today. There's these these politically motivated pseudoscientists and politicians telling us that we need to change the way uh, our behavior is in order to to preserve our planet. And if we don't, the polar ice caps are going to melt and all the water is going to come down. And we're we're, we're constantly told, hey, we need to go green. I'm sure you've heard that said. You know, our world is absolutely bombarded with this stuff all the time. Another common phrase you, you hear all the time today is the future is in our hands. We hear that a lot. In fact, I was reading that there's a movement that originated in Norway called Future in Our Hands, and this is their statement of purpose. We are an international movement committed to safeguarding the environment for future generations and a fair distribution of wealth globally. So you catch that. And a fair distribution of wealth globally. And if you study these people in their groups, you find they have three things in common. Globalism, socialism, and communism. That's their motivation behind what they do. And they want to frighten people through fear and manipulation to further their agenda. Listen, the future is not in our hands. It's in the hands of our Creator who created all this, who sovereignly rules over His universe. And when He says it's over, it's over. And He tells us in His Word that it's not going to get any better, but it is going to get worse, a lot worse, as angel number two and angel number three start to pour out God's bowls of wrath into the sea, every living creature, and the sea will die, and every river and every spring of water will become like blood. Now, if you remember, when we looked at the trumpet judgments, a third of the, the rivers uh, became bitter. And we talked about how possibly there could be maybe a, some kind of chemical weapon exchange or possibly some deep asteroid impact type scenario where it causes all this stuff. Well, you know, but here, this is getting much, much worse. And really, bottom line is God can simply say, you know what, let there be blood and there's blood. Let the fish die and they die. See, if you're God, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> Needless to say, the effects are going to be devastating on the planet and on the living conditions on earth. Now, as these angels are pouring out these bowls, suddenly they, pro- they make a proclamation. Look at verses 5 through 7. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. 
Notice what the angel is not saying. He's not saying, God, I can't believe you're judging these people so harshly. Don't you think it's, it's a little tough on them? You know, come on, you, you, you're God of love, aren't you? you know, how can you? They don't do that. None of them are complaining. They're proclaiming. You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who was, was to be because you have judged these things. Then the angel declares that the Lord gives blood to drink to those who shed the blood of the prophets and the saints. Again, they are reaping what they've sown, and this would be an indication that the Lord here is avenging the blood of the martyrs. Millions have died for their their faith in Christ. So this angel is just confirming, affirming, declaring, God, what you're doing is right. You are righteous, turning this water into blood. And then another angel agreeing, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Well, the judgments continue. Super Bowl 4, Super Bowl 5, Book of verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl in the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. Do you believe in global warming? <laughs> I do. It's right here. And let me tell you, it is a result of man. It's a result of man's sin and rebellion against God. Verse 9. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Listen, true global warming is coming to this world like we've never imagined. We read these people are burned with fire. Do they turn to God during this calamity? No. The very opposite. They blaspheme God. Listen to this. If the love of God does not bring you to repentance, the judgment of God is, is not going to bring you to repentance. The Bible says the goodness of God, the kindness of God brings us to repentance. But these people, as I said, they're set in their ways. Verse 10, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. You know, when it comes to God's judgments, these angels are sharpshooters. They don't miss. God is ordering precise uh, strikes against deliberate targets. This angel has the throne of the beast, the Antichrist, in his scope. And when his bowl is poured out, his kingdom became full of darkness. Literally lights out for planet Earth. Thick darkness engulfs everything. So think about this scenario up to this point. There are people that are walking around. They have sores all over their bodies. According to verse 9, they've been scorched with the same sun that they used to worship, you know, for many years. They're gnawing you know, at their tongues because of the intense pain. They go to rinse off, you know, in some clear, cool water to find some relief from the sores and from the burnt skin. But all the rivers, all the oceans, everything is blood. All the fish are dead. The source of their food is drying up. On top of that, the Antichrist, the one they pledge their allegiance to, his kingdom has gone completely dark. Again, you would think at this point they would go, you know, maybe I took the wrong side here. Maybe I made the wrong plan. But instead, we don't. Again, verse 11, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains, their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. You know, how? How would they not repent? And I think 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 through 12, Paul answers that question. He writes this concerning the end times. He says this, uh, speaking of the Antichrist, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. 
And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So the Antichrist is going to capture the allegiance of the people. He's going to be persuasive. He's going to be performing so-called miracles. But Paul calls them lying wonders. And to execute his judgment in an expedient way, God will still their rebellion by casting upon them the strong delusion, Paul says. In other words, the inhabitants of, uh, of earth will end up believing not just a lie, but Paul calls it the lie. What is the lie? What's a strong delusion? It's one that hardens our hearts in the last days. It's the same old lie that, that came back to the very beginning, that God is bad and that man is good. It's humanism at, at its finest. It's how Satan tempted Eve. He told her God wanted uh, to stun her growth. But if you eat of that fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. In other words, the devil said, God wants to deprive you, but if you defy God and follow me, I will bring you enlightenment. Don't we see that today in our society? Biblical Christianity is being depicted as repressive, intolerant, responsible for the last 2,000 years of war, hatred, oppression, and prejudice. Listen, Satan is still selling the lie. Biblical Christianity is holding us back. Open your eyes. Find the God that's within you. Shed the shackles of Christianity. And people are buying it hook, line, and sinker. That's why they will not repent in the future and why they will not turn from their ways and why they will continue to blaspheme God even at this time and why God absolutely must judge. Again, remember what the angel said in verses 5 through 7, for this is their just due, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. It's interesting today that even in our, our society, people are going, well, you know, how could a God be a God of love and, and really judge? How could God send someone to hell or allow someone to go there? How could a God of love? And they have all these questions. Let me answer that with three simple things concerning the judgment of God. Number one, judgment is a reality. Whether you choose to believe it or not, the fact is God will judge. And again, this goes back to, to Satan. They're questioning Eve in the garden. Satan came to Eve and said, has God really said you will surely die? Well, he did say we shouldn't eat of that tree. Yeah, but the, he didn't say all the trees. Come on, you won't die. There's not going to be any judgment. Yeah, I know what God said, but, but did he, he didn't really mean that. Questioning God's judgment, Satan does. It's not going to happen. What did Satan do instead? He said, God's holding out on you. He knows that, that when you eat of that tree in disobedience, you'll be like him. But he lied, and he's lying today, and there are those who are believing his lies that there's no judgment coming. That these things that we're reading about, oh, they're not really going to happen. Listen, God's word says they're going to happen. They will happen. You can stake your life on it. But Satan doesn't want you to think that it'll happen. He doesn't want you to believe it. In fact, Satan doesn't want you to think that he exists at all, that there's no devil that there's no heaven above and no hell below. Imagine that. John Lennon knows for sure there's a heaven and there's a hell. But here's the problem, and here's what can kind of catch us off guard and make us head in the same direction Eve did. Eve ate of that tree, right? But she didn't die immediately. It wasn't take one bite and boom, you're dead. No, she sinned, but the physical consequences were not immediate. 
Something happened spiritually, obviously, because she realized she was naked and ashamed, but she didn't die immediately. Listen, God's judgments are not often immediate. Our God is extremely loving and very patient, but don't mistake that fact for, his, for indifference or apathy. It's been said that the wills of God's justices turn slowly, but they grind thoroughly. So when God brings judgment, it will be complete. He will do what he says. Because even though Adam and Eve lived a very long time, hundreds of years, eventually, as a result of their sin, they did die. And we are still reaping those consequences presently. And if you doubt that, as soon as service is over, head on home, get your high school yearbook out, hold it up to a mirror next to your picture, and you'll see. Must be eight or nine hundred years difference. I got to be old here. I mean, judgment is happening. Now, the good news for us as believers is though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has so graciously provided a way so that man would not have to live in sin eternally. But the reality is God's judgment is evident. So, number one, judgment is reality. Number two, judgment is a necessity. Because listen, if God did not judge, mankind is just going to get worse and worse and worse. Because mankind has an incredible capacity for perversity. I mean, we see this in the Old Testament where God gave the Canaanites opportunities after opportunities to repent. And what did man do? 400 years were given. And what happened? Men did not become better. They became bitter. They became more and more perverse to the point where they were offering babies to their god of Moloch. That god of Moloch in that time was a god of pleasure. And in the Canaanite society, they would heat up the arms of this god to red hot. They would take their newborn babies and sacrifice them to this god of pleasure. And they would do so by placing that baby in the red hot arms of this god. And there that child would burn to death. And you'll look at that and you go, this is horrible, this is Sick. But let me ask you this question. Are we truly able to point the finger at that nation, at that society, and say how horrible, but not point the finger to our own nation and say how horrible? Have you seen? Have you heard of the abortion techniques that are out there today? How they suck babies out piece by piece? How in some of the pictures and the videos that the baby is actually pulling away from them, but they just continue to rip them out? Let me ask you, are we any better than they were? And what we do it in the name of what? The woman's right to choose. To choose what? To choose to be sexually promiscuous, to have sexual relations with whoever she wants to, whenever she wants to, and to not have the inconvenience of a child. In other words, I want to have the pleasure without the hassle. Isn't that the same thing they did in offering their child to the God of Moloch? The only difference is technology. Everything else is the same. Let me tell you that God who created that little baby, who gave that life to that little baby, the creator of the universe, is not going to sit by and let this go on without judgment. Now let me say this. For those of you ladies that may have had an abortion, God is a forgiving God. God is a gracious God. And he loves you very, very much. And he forgives you. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus paid the price for that sin. Praise God. Remember that. But listen, when we see this stuff going on as a nation and people approving that kind of thing, you know that God's going to judge. The baby murdered, the gift of God taken and abused. Is God justified in bringing judgment? You bet he is. I mean, look at the sad stories that we're reading about today, the atrocities that are done to children. 
National human trafficking hotline statistics show the 25% jump in human trafficking cases from 2017 to 2018. Sex trafficking and labor trafficking. More than 23,500 runaways reported to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. One in seven were likely victims of child sex trafficking, with the state of California having the highest number. Listen, if God is a God of love and truth, then God must judge. Judgment is a necessity. So judgment is a reality. Judgment is, is a necessity. Number three, judgment is fair. If you ever had a conversation with a non-believer and you're sharing them the love of Christ and they're listening to you and you think they're getting close to making a decision. And then all of a sudden they go, well, what about the guy in the jungle? What about the person in the middle of the desert? What about that person who's never hurt? That doesn't seem fair. Are you saying that God is going to judge them? The funny thing is they don't really care about that person in the desert or the person in the jungle. They just don't want to talk to you anymore. Why? Because you're getting too close. You're getting to their heart and they don't want to hear it. So they try and change the subject. But let me say this. God's judgment will be absolutely fair in answer to their question. Romans 1.20 tells us, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There's going to be no one that's going to stand before the Lord and say, Oh God, that's not fair. That's not fair. I, I appeal. You can't. You won't be able to. No appeals. Judgment will be complete and totally equitable. And this brings us to Super Bowl number 6. Look at verses 12 through 16. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Verse 15, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gather them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Now we know who the players on this team are, don't we? We looked at it from the previous study in chapter 12 of Revelation. The dragon, none other than the picture of Satan, who gives the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet their power. Beast, again, is just simply another term for the Antichrist. And the false prophet is the Antichrist uh, uh, sidekick, religious sidekick, working side by side uh, with the coming world leader. But what's really disgusting here is these three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Frogs were considered unclean in the Old Testament in their dietary laws, but according to Persian mythology, frogs were also viewed as plague-inducing creatures. So what we have here is this plague-inducing frog-like demons coming forth from Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, preparing this one-world government for the final battle of Armageddon. These three frog-like demons croaking in the ears of the world leaders. Go to Megiddo. Go to Megiddo. Go to Megiddo. Croak, croak. Go to Megiddo. I don't know what's like that. They're close. They're whipping up this frenzy. And it's all going to settle in the valley of Megiddo in that final battle that's going to be fought before the return of Jesus Christ on this earth, the battle of Armageddon. How will they get there? 
Well, verse 12 tells us, the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. You know, the Euphrates River is referred to 25 times in Scripture, and it plays a very important role in the last days. We know that it formed the northern border of the land promised to Abraham back in Genesis 15, with the Nile forming the southern border. The Euphrates River is 1,800 miles long, 30 feet deep, and between 300 and 1,200 feet wide. Now, the size of it has caused skeptics over the years to, to not believe and scoff this verse and say, oh, it can never dry up. It's impossible. And yet, Turkey did it some 31 years ago. The more recent, the manager of the Ataturk Dam, located at the head of the water of Euphrates, was quoted by saying that they could stop the flow of water from Euphrates into Syria and Iraq if they wanted to for up to eight months in order to regulate their political behavior. This is something that God says is going to happen. And he's going to do it to provide this passageway for the kings of the east to be able to come down into this valley of Megiddo for that final battle. Now, who are the kings of the east? Verse 12. Well, in the Greek, it gives us a clue. It's actually translated, the kings from the rising sun. Many commentators believe it's referring to China. It's interesting that China has the world's second largest uh, economy next to the U.S., and we've seen a dramatic rise in China's power and influence. The development of their enormous military strength, the intimidation towards Hong Kong, Tibet, Taiwan, other regions, pursuit of global economic dominance, their aggression in the, in the global world stage, the Chinese spies infiltrating our own government, and of course the persecution of Christians, uh, Chinese Christians. All this has been a characteristic of China. On top of that, I'll say it, the China-Wuhan virus. So it's not hard to imagine that the kings from the east is China, and they will come one day march into Israel. But here's the thing that we, we need to remember here, and we need to realize is that this is the Lord. He's the one orchestrating these events. He's the one bringing all of this together, all these nations, for this final battle in Israel called Megiddo. Now, this valley is located 60 miles north of Jerusalem in the Jezreel Valley. It's been a place for many, many battles. Gideon, if you recall, and his 300 men defeated the Midianites there. Samson had, had a key battle against the Philistines there. Uh, King Josiah, he was killed at Megiddo. The Turks, the Egyptians, the Muslims, the Syrians, the Europeans have all have waged war in this valley. Napoleon when he went to Egypt and passed through the Jezreel Valley, he declared, if there ever was a place on earth where the last war must be fought, it's here in this valley. So John is seeing that here in verse 14, the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Picture all that John has seen. I mean, he's watched the, all the bold judgments coming down, all the trumpet judgments, all the sealed judgments. He's seeing what happened to this, the, the face of the earth, uh, the people on the earth. It's got to be radical. But I love that the Lord gives John this little reminder in verse 15 where he says, Behold, I am coming. I love that. It speaks of Jesus' second coming where the Lord is going to meet the armies to destroy them once and for all. Finally, this brings us to our last final Super Bowl, Super Bowl 7. Look at verses 17 through 21. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings 
and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake. Such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and great hell from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hell, since that plague was exceedingly great. First we read of this mighty great earthquake that had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now, growing up in Southern California, I was pretty well used to earthquakes. You know, you sit in the house, all of a sudden things start to shake and rally. Ah, it's another earthquake. I don't get freaked out over it. Now, my son, when he was in the military and uh, he was in station San Diego, they had an earthquake and all these military guys, not from California, they're all jumping out of their bunks and they're just freaked out. Oh, what is it? What is it? Yeah, that's an earthquake. Now, get me out here to the tornadoes and that's a little scarier, but, but here's the deal. John sees this great city, which is Jerusalem, divided into three parts, uh, and it's not even the center of the earthquake, uh, even though, or rather, even though the center of the earthquake is in Jerusalem, it's not confined to Jerusalem. This thing is huge. I mean, it's off the Richter scale. Because we're told that the cities of the nations fell. So this gives us an idea of the extent and the vast destruction of this earthquake. We also read that Babylon is mentioned specifically once again. It was mentioned back in chapter 14. We'll see it in the next two chapters, and we'll deal with it to save it for them to look at that. But we also read every island fled away. I mean, everything is changing all at once. The, the island's flying away. The hilltops are going down. And if that wasn't bad enough, verse 21, And great hell from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the, the weight of a talent. And we've had some pretty radical hailstorms in Missouri, but, but the size of these hailstones will be enormous. One talent is about 100 pounds. So could you imagine a 100-pound hailstone falling from the sky? Once in a while, we get one about the size of a golf ball. Maybe oh, it's the size of a softball. How about the size of a beach ball? I mean, it's going to go right through your roof, right down to, to your basement. It would be so radical. And here's the saddest thing of all in verse 21. Instead of repentance, we read, but men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hell. Again, instead of turning, instead of going, I was wrong, I messed up. No, they continue to blaspheme God. That's why the seventh bowl of God's wrath is being poured out. Men have refused to repent. Folks, these Super Bowls are going to be bad. God's bowl games, are, are, God's bowls rather, are not games. He's, he's not playing around. He's not messing around. This is serious business. That's why we as Christians, with the time left that we have on this earth, we need to be doing all that we can to get the gospel out. To live this Christian life that people will stop and take notice and go, man, you got joy. You got peace with all that's going on in the world. I want what you have. What is it? And we can share with them. It's, now is not the time to be shy about our faith. We have an open door. But who knows how long that door is going to be open before we have to go underground. I want to close with this. Years ago, ABC News with Peter Jennings did a report on the Chinese government persecution of Christians. He pointed out that in China there are two kinds of churches in the land. Official churches and unofficial churches called underground churches. 
The official churches operate under strict guidelines, but as long as they abide by those guidelines, they are tolerated by the government. The underground churches are the ones who have refused to agree to the restrictions, and their leaders are persecuted unmercifully. The restrictions are the ones that have always been typical of communistic regimes all over the world. They usually consist of such things as prohibition of Sunday school for children, a ban on baptisms for people under the age of 21. The state also controls the ordination process of the assignment of pastors. So if the pastor has a large urban church and he steps out of line in any way, he'll find himself suddenly reassigned to a small rural church in the middle of no place. Well, this article I read said this. Peter Jennings was about ready to move on to a new topic when he had one more side note. He said almost offhandedly, there's only one doctrine the Chinese government will not allow... Well, there's only one doctrine the Chinese government will not allow the official churches to preach, and that is the doctrine of the second coming of Christ. Isn't that amazing? The Chinese communist leaders know enough about Christian doctrine to figure out what aspect is the most dangerous to them. They don't want anyone in China to hear about the promises of Jesus Christ's return. Why? Because it brings hope. It brings hope. Listen, we've talked about Armageddon, where God's wrath is going to be poured out upon those who follow the Antichrist. But there's another place where God's wrath was poured out. It was poured out upon His Son, Jesus Christ. Both deal with bloodshed. As we'll read, the blood will we'll get to the horse's bridle in the valley of Megiddo. But we also know that the Son's veins at Calvary bled as well. Both are completions. The voice will cry out, It is done at Megiddo, where Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished as he hung there and died for our sins. So really, as we close, it comes down to a choice. Will you experience the final wrath of the Father at Megiddo, or will you embrace the finished work of the Son at the cross of Calvary? Choice is yours. I would encourage you, if you're here this morning and you don't know without a doubt that your sin is forgiven, that you've been born again, do not leave here today without surrendering your heart and life to the one who loves you, the one who gave his life for you. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You will not regret it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for your grace towards us. As believers, Lord, you open up our eyes to show us our need for you. Father, you showed us our need to repent and turn from our sin. And as a result, Lord, you promised to save us from the wrath that is to come. And Lord, the wrath that is to come, as we have read, is absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrifying, but absolutely justified. Lord, and we cry out as the angels cry out. Lord, you are justified to do this judgment, Lord. But Lord, we pray right now for the time that we have left, Lord, that you, you would use each and every one in this church, in this Calvary Chapel of Springfield, to share the hope that we have, Lord, to share the gospel as long as we can with the time that we have left. Lord, that we would see, Lord, in our community, people, men and women, coming to faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And finally, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, I pray that they would not leave here without making that commitment to follow you. Thank you for our time together, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to follow Christ this morning, uh, come up and talk to me. I'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible and let you know what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Let's all stand and we'll do one last song together.